Open your Bibles with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. If you noticed in that video, there were people doing religious things. Did you all see that? People doing religious things. Now, those things seem strange to most of us. Would you all agree with that? Those things seem strange. Um, how many of you are from a background other than an independent Baptist background? Would you raise your hands? Okay, everybody look around. I want you to see this. All right? Most everyone in here is from a different background. The first time most of you walked into a church like this, it felt almost like what we were looking at up on the screen. It was different for you. That you may be, someone in this room may be experiencing that right now. They're saying, I've never seen anything like this. Don't worry, it's going to get worse. I'm starting. It is, um, it, it's just different. Uh, I know the first time that I went to a Roman Catholic wedding, that was so strange for me. It was just different. I'd never seen a ceremony like that. It was something that was new for me. Um, why is it that there are so many different religions? Why is it that there are so many different flavors of Christianity? It's very interesting. I think that the, there are several reasons, but we're going to deal with one of those reasons this morning, and it is how do we deal with sin? How do we deal with sin? And Christianity is divided on that subject. Now, it really shouldn't be because the Bible is very clear about it. All right. So if we're going to take our instruction strictly from the Scriptures, there's really not that much confusion, and that's why we'll be in the Scriptures quite a bit today to answer it. But there are many different types of faiths, many different types of religions, all based on how do we deal with sin in the life of a person who comes to Christ. All right, so my message today is engage liberty. Now we're in this theme of engage and we're looking at ways that we can interact with Scripture so that we know how to interact with the community and with other people. This subject of how do we deal with sin is probably the most important thing that we'll ever discuss. And it starts with an understanding that we are all sinners. Is that right? How many of you have... Anybody watch the news this week? Did anybody watch the news? How many of you recognize there's sin in the world? And it's so interesting. Maybe we'll make some more comments on that as we go this morning. I think that we all recognize that there's sin in the world... And the reason for all different religions is people are trying to figure out how do we deal with that sin. Every religion is somehow dealing with behavior. Behavior. There's never been a civilization discovered in the history of the world where man was not somehow trying to appease God or the gods for their sin. Because of their sin. Every civilization understands it. Why? Well, the Bible makes it very clear because God has written His law in the hearts of man. So every person has a conscience. The conscience comes from God. And so men recognize that there's right and wrong. It doesn't matter where you're from. If I brought a baby up here right now and started to kill that baby in front of you, you would immediately know that that's wrong. you all agree with that? You'd immediately know that that was wrong. Why? That's conscience. God put that in us. And so the purpose of religion in many cases is to figure out how are we going to deal with this issue of sin? Well, the Bible makes it very clear. First of all, all are sinners. 
The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that's evident. I don't think we need to belabor that. We've all sinned. And when it says to come short of the glory of God, that means we can't reach God's level of perfection. God's perfect, we're not. God's perfect. That's, and there's no way we can reach His standard of perfection. It doesn't matter how hard we try, how good we try to be, it, it just won't happen. How many of you have ever tried to change a habit? How's that working out for you? Right? And I love it here in the next month or so, all the diets will start and shortly thereafter fail. It's habits. They're, they're very difficult to break because those are... It's like a record. You guys don't know what that is, but there's a. it's like a record, and it has these grooves in it, and the needle sits in those grooves and goes around and makes sound, all right? And that's transferred out. And if you put a scratch in that, all of a sudden it doesn't work anymore. Well, God has established grooves for you. Sin puts those scratches in it, and now that needle has to follow that scratch. Those are those habits. Those are the things that you've established in your life that are so difficult to overcome. Now, all of us are sinners. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, and then the Bible defines that death as death in hell, separation from God forever, eternal punishment in the flames of the lake of fire. That is what the Bible teaches. And it's very clear, it doesn't matter what anyone says about it, it doesn't matter what religious group talks about it, the Bible makes it very clear that if you are a sinner, and we all are, then what we deserve is death in hell. But that's why Jesus Christ came into the world, was born of a virgin, He lived a sinless life, and then He died on the cross to pay for your sin and for my sin so that we don't have to go to hell so that we can have eternal life. That's eternal life that begins now and continues throughout all eternity. We may die physically, but we'll spend eternity with Jesus Christ. And that's the, that's the promise. And the Bible's very clear on that. There's no confusion about it. The Bible's very clear. But God commendeth, He proved or showed His love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then it says it very clearly, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Bible describes two kinds of people in the world. Not short and tall, black and white. No, no, there's only two kinds of people in the world. He that hath the Son of God hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. If you have the Son, you have life. If you don't have the Son, you don't have life. How do you get the Son? By repentance toward God and faith toward Jesus Christ. Remember, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. My life is going this way. Jesus Christ confronts me. I'm confronted with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm a sinner, and I must repent. Repentance is this, turning toward God. My way is going to take me to death. There's a way that seemeth right to a man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. That's what the Bible says. So my way, the way that I want to go, leads to death. I'm confronted by Jesus Christ. I believe that. So it is repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. It's belief in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ according to the Scriptures. Jesus died for our sins. He was buried and rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. If I believe that and I repent of my sin and I trust in Jesus Christ alone for my eternal life, I can have that eternal life. That's the promise of God. All right. Now, the Bible is very clear on that. There's not really any confusion at all from the Scriptures on that. So then why are there all the religions? Because there are Christians that live like non-Christians. How many of you have ever known someone that claimed to be a Christian who lived like a non-Christian? How many of you know that? Right? 
Now I want to ask you to raise your hand here. How many of you that's been you? I know that since I've been saved, I've behaved like an unbeliever at times. And that's the issue. The issue that Christianity has tried to deal with is this subject of what about a Christian who doesn't live like a Christian? And so statements like this come out. A Christian would never do that. A saved person would never do that. Now, when we use the word saved, that's a Bible word, and that's for a person who has been born again. That's that person who's placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for their eternal life. They're not trusting in their baptism or their good works. They're not trusting in anything other than Jesus Christ. That person is saved. They were lost. Now they've been saved. They've been born again. So we're going to look at this from the Bible. So get your Bibles ready. We're going to be digging into this. But let me read to you some of the ideas that have come, that people have tried to have come up with to try to deal with this. How many of you have heard of Augustine or Augustine? How many of you have heard of him? All right. I know that Protestants like to claim him as a person who believed in salvation by grace. They've either, either never read him or they're not telling the truth. All right, let me read to you what he said. When you shall have been baptized, keep a good life in the commandments of God so that you may preserve your baptism to the very end. It's interesting, isn't it? He said, I do not tell you that you will live here without sin, but they are venial sins which this life is never without. Baptism was instituted for all sins, for light sins without which we cannot live. Prayer was instituted. But do not commit those sins on account of which you would have to be separated from the body of Christ. Perish the thought. Anybody confused yet? He goes on. For those whom you see doing penance have committed crimes, either adultery or some other enormities. That is why they are doing penance. If their sins were light, daily prayer would suffice to blot them out. In the church, therefore, there are three ways in which sins are forgiven. In baptisms, in prayer... And in the greater humility of penance, that's St. Augustine's sermons to catechumens on the creed. Now, so what Augustine believed was, or Augustine, what he believed was that your salvation first comes through your baptism, and then you have to say certain prayers throughout your life, that's, and that's the sacraments, and then through doing penance. Some of you remember when I was at the Vatican uh, I was there, the Pope John Paul's funeral was on Saturday. I was there on Monday. And there at St. Peter's Basilica, the place was packed and people were lining up. And I asked, what are they lining up for? And they said, to do the sacrament of penance. The sacrament of penance. Now, if you don't know what the sacrament of penance is, that is when you have committed sins that are bad, then the priest will give you something that you need to do to pay for those sins. And so people were lining up for that. And so I went to the first person in line and I said, you don't have to do this. Jesus Christ paid your penalty on the cross. You don't have to do this. You don't have to pay penance. Jesus Christ paid your penalty on the cross. Just believe in him. And I, they just look at me and I go to the... Now, it's probably because none of them spoke English. But I, I kept... And there were, there were uh, water buffalo falling or something. But I, I just went to every person in that line and told them, you don't have to do this. Jesus Christ paid your penalty. That's why he died on the cross. That was enough. His sacrifice was sufficient 
There's a Bible word. It's propitiation. And He is the propitiation for our sins, not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world, 1 John 2, 2. That word propitiation, it means a satisfactory payment. Jesus Christ's blood was enough. It was enough. So what happened? Here's Augustine who's completely confused on salvation and he's seeing people that live a holy life and some that don't live a holy life and he's saying these people who don't live a holy life, there's no way that they could really be Christians. So let's, let's institute all of these other ideas to add to salvation to make sure that we understand how sin is dealt with. And it's just wrong. It's wrong. But why the confusion? Because you have saved people living like unsaved people, and that just doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem right. Here, another guy came up with an idea. How many of you have heard of John Calvin? Anybody heard of John Calvin? Listen to what John Calvin did. Now, John Calvin became the head of the city of Geneva. They had these city-states back then, the 1500s. And so he's the head of Geneva. And listen to the, what he wanted to do to deal with sin. He didn't want Christians to live like non-Christians. Now, remember for Calvin, a person became a Christian when they were baptized as a baby into the church. Okay? And so Calvin would be um, Presbyterians, Lutherans, um, and even some Baptists would follow what Calvin would teach. Listen to what Calvin did. Uh, Under John Calvin in Geneva, once a month, rich and poor, the powerful and the weak had to submit to the questioning of professional police for hours. Why? Because in 1 Corinthians 11, before you take the Lord's Supper, the Bible says examine yourself. So he had the police examine you. Can you imagine? Some of you think, I'm strict on the Lord's Supper. Here comes John Calvin's people. All right, let us in. We're going to question you now because you're going to take communion. All right. Then he said, um, so they're questioned for hours. White-haired, respectable, tried, and hitherto trusted men must be examined like schoolboys as to whether they knew the prayers by heart or as to why they had failed to attend one of Master Calvin's sermons. But with such catechizing and moralizing, the visitation was by no means at an end. The members of this moral cheka thrust fingers into every pie. They felt the women's dresses to see whether their skirts were not too long or too short, whether these garments had superfluous frills or dangerous slits. The police carefully inspected the coiffure, the hairstyle, to see that it did not tower too high. Boy, in the 80s, these ladies would have been in real trouble. Remember the (laughs) Big Bang Theory, you know? Um, then they counted the rings on the victim's fingers and looked to see how many pairs of shoes there were in the cupboard. Some of you are in big trouble right now. From the bedroom, they passed on to the kitchen table to ascertain whether the prescribed diet was not being exceeded by a soup or a course of meat or whether sweets and jams were hidden away somewhere. Michelle Obama was a Calvinist, I think. I'm not sure. Um, (laughs) Then the, the pious policeman would continue his examination of the rest of the house. He pried into bookshelves on the chance there would be a book devoid of the consistory's imprimatur. So they had to be, the, all the books that were read had to be approved. The servants were asked about the behavior of their masters, and the children were cross-questioned as to the doings of their parents. Prohibited were theaters, amusements, popular festivals, any kind of dancing or playing. Even so innocent a sport as skating stirred, Cal, stirred Calvin's bile. The only tolerated attire was sober and almost monkish. 
The tailors, therefore, were forbidden unless they had special permission from the town authorities to cut in accordance with new fashions. Girls were forbidden to wear silk before they reached the age of 15 years. Above that age, they were not allowed to wear velvet. Lace was forbidden, gloves were forbidden, frills and sashed shoes slash shoes were forbidden. Forbidden was the use of litters and of wheeled carriages. Forbidden were family feasts to which more than 20 persons had been invited. So that's Calvin. All right. Now, some of you will read, and some of you who are doing homeschool or maybe in a Christian school, you'll read that, Cal- that, the, that the religious liberty that we have in the United States came from John Calvin. Liar, liar, pants on fire. Okay? <laughs> that, is, that is not true at all. Calvin was a trip. All right? But why was he doing that? Because he realized that people when they name the name of Christ, still want to live like the world. And so he thought the best way to handle that was to enforce with the law what he thought was right and wrong. Now, don't think that this was mild. People could be whipped. They could be banished from the city, all of their property taken, or ultimately killed. There were many people who were killed for criticizing Calvin's sermons. We know about Servetus, who was burned at the stake, but there were many others in Geneva who were, who were executed under John Calvin. Why? Because John Calvin was trying to impose some kind of religious norms. Now, let me say this. There are people, they're called Reconstructionists, and they want to do that in America today. These people that want to make sure that we have a Christian nation, they want to impose these kinds of laws on the United States again. This is why our founders made sure that that couldn't happen, that no one religion would be established as the religion of the nation. Very important that we understand that. It's very important. Why? Because law cannot change a man's heart. Only Jesus Christ can change a man's heart. That's it. We still need laws. Why? Because we're wicked. We're sinners. The reason for law is because man is a sinner. It's very simple. We understand that. But law cannot make a man righteous. Can't do it. So then uh, we move ahead. In the 1700s, there was a man named John Wesley. How many of you have heard of John Wesley? John Wesley believed in what was called absolute sanctification or perfectionism. What he said was that a person who gets saved, born again, can get to a place where they don't sin anymore, where there's no sin in their life. How are you doing? Uh, I had a guy tell me one time he hadn't sinned for 20 years. I said, well, you just blew that. (laughs) The Bible says, if any man saith no sin, he's a liar and the truth is not in him. And I lovingly quoted that verse to him at that particular moment. Now, it's very clear that we get this. Why Why did Wesley do that? Because he was trying to deal with people who claimed to be Christians but who are living like the world, and he wanted people to understand that there's a possibility to live without sin. That was what was behind Wesley. Now, here's what always happens with that kind of a system, though. Those who do not reach that standard of perfection can always fall away and have no hope for eternal life. Isn't that interesting? It always comes from that. It must follow that if you can be perfect, then that means that you can attain salvation. But if you 
do not attain that salvation, then you're going to be lost forever. And so that makes the cross of Christ of none effect. That's what the Apostle Paul said. Then, let me read you from Harry Ironside. Harry Ironside was pastor of Moody Church in Chicago, and he had come up through the Salvation Army and that type of Wesleyan holiness. Oh, let me tell you, those who followed John Wesley's teaching, that's the Methodists. They followed John Wesley's methods of teaching. That's the, the Nazarenes and um, the, the Pentecostal holiness. And out of that came all of the Church of God and all of those movements. So many of those movements have some form of this perfectionism in them. And, they, and in those, they teach that if you commit certain sins, you'll lose your salvation. That's completely false. You can't find that in the Bible. All right? Now, let me give you the last one. Uh, this is called Keswick sanctification. And around 1856, a guy named uh, Boardman, he said, he wrote a book called The Victorious or The Higher Christian Life. And this is the idea that if you just pray hard enough and surrender yourself enough and quit trying, that God will give you peace, power for service, the filling of the Holy Spirit, and victory over sin. Listen to what Ironside said about that. I reasoned that the Bible promised entire relief from indwelling sin to all who were wholly surrendered to the will of God. That I had thus surrendered seemed to me certain. Why then had I not been fully delivered from the carnal mind? It seemed to me that I had met every condition and that God on His part had failed to perform what He had promised. The problem is, God never promised you complete deliverance from sin in this life. And so what is this victorious Christian life? What is this Keswick sanctification? And I know sanctification is the setting apart where God sets you apart, away from sin to be more like Christ. That's a process that takes place throughout your entire salvation. Some people grow in sanctification. Others do not grow in sanctification. But ultimately, we will be like Christ when He returns. Okay? And we'll deal with some of that in a minute. It's really important that you understand this. Each and every one of these religions is trying to deal with sin in the life of the individual. And I promise you there are people in this room that have fallen on your face and you've prayed to God to deliver you from sin. It could be some kind of an addiction. It could be anger. It could be lust. Whatever sin it is that you deal with constantly... It could be a critical spirit that you just can't get rid of, a bitterness. And you come to God and you say, Lord, please, I'm giving this to you. I'm surrendering this to you. I'm trusting you completely. And for a little while it feels good, but then it's back. And you know there are people that walk away from God because they were told that God would deliver them from that. God didn't deliver them from that. So God must not be true or I must not be saved. You see, ideas always have consequences. So my, my message has two points today. The first one is two men. The second point is three men. All right, so let's look at two men. Let's start. We're at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And let's get a clear understanding of what the Bible teaches about the believer and his sin. All right, 2 Corinthians 4. Look at verse 16. The Bible says, For which cause we faint not, 
But though our, what's it say? Outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. There are two different men described here. There's the outward man and the inward man. The outward man is perishing. The outward man is perishing. Um, Brother Ferrier, how's your outward man doing right lately? It hurts. <laughs> it hurts. Back trouble, the different issues that come with age. I've got this muscle spasm in my back. I hate it. Drives me crazy. That's the outward man. That's my flesh. How many of you have a body today? Would you raise your hand? Okay. That's your flesh. That's your outward man. Your outward man is dying. And as it is appointed unto man, once to die, and after this the judgment. That's your outward man. Your inward man, if you're saved, if you're born again, you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, your inward man is renewed day by day. All right? So we see two men here, the outward man and the inward man. The outward man is perishing. The inward man is kept by the Holy Spirit. Go to Galatians 2 and verse 20. Some of you, this is your favorite verse. I love it. Galatians 2, verse 20. The Bible says, I am crucified with Christ. That's the outward man. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. That's the inward man. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. My eternal life is not based on me. It's based on Jesus Christ. All right? So Jesus Christ is in me. That's what the Bible says. When you get saved, you are placed in Christ by the Holy Spirit, and Jesus Christ comes to dwell in you through the Holy Spirit. All right? That's the inner man. That's the inner man. Look at Romans chapter 7. Look at verse 22. Now let's look at verse 19. I think this is good for the context. So Romans 7, verse 19. For the good that I would do, or I'm sorry, for the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. How many of you, that's your testimony? Yeah. Yeah, look at the next verse. Now, if I do that, I would not. So that that I don't want to do, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. So it's not the new man that's doing it. It's not the inward man that's doing it. It's the outward man. Look at what the Bible says. Look at the next verse. For I delight in the law of God after the what? The inward man. But I see another law in my members. That's my body, my members, my hands, my feet, in my members. Look at this next word. Warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. So why, the law of my mind, the Bible says when you're saved, you get the mind of Christ. All right? So I, I know what's right and I want to do that and it's my heart's desire to do what's right and yet I still do what's wrong. Why? Because my flesh wants to do what's wrong. 
My outward man is bent toward destruction. Remember the record with the scratches? That scratch is the bent of my outward man. The desire of my life is to do wrong. But the desire of my heart, the new man, is to do right. There's a battle that takes place. There's a war that takes place. That's the war that H.I. Ironside was talking about, that he recognized. And so look at what it says. Verse 23 again, But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am. Now, it doesn't say that I was. This is the Apostle Paul. He's an apostle of God. He's saved. He's a writer of the Scriptures. And he says, O wretched man that I am. That's his present condition. Look at what he says. Who shall deliver me from the what? The body of this death. You see, he has the new man in him. Jesus Christ is dwelling in him. And yet his body wants to do wrong. That's what Paul said. But here's the good news. I thank God. Verse 25. Through Jesus Christ. So then with my mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. There are two men. There are two men. And look at the Paul describes this for us perfectly. Go to Philippians chapter 3. Y'all weren't planning to go to lunch today, were you? Okay, we'll try and get this done. Look at Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. And this, I think, is the testimony of every saved person who loves the Lord. Verse 10. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable unto His death if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. All right, so what is this? That I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Eventually, you're going to get a new body. If you're saved, you're going to get a new body. That's what he wants. But what he's praying is that his sinful body, the body that he lives in now, can become more and more like the new body, the resurrection body that he's going to get. That's what he's praying for. And he describes it here. Verse 12, Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. Do you see that? Now, how many of you would agree with that? Man, I'm not there yet. I've not arrived. I'm not there yet. Except look at what he says in verse 15. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect. Huh? Wait a minute. I'm not perfect. I've not arrived. I've not apprehended. But let as many as those of us who are perfect... What? Let's read it. Back up to verse 12. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after. If that I may apprehend that for which, look also, look at what it says, that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. So here's the idea. Jesus Christ has given me the new man. Inside, Jesus Christ did that for me, my inward man. But my outward man doesn't match my inward man yet. So let's read on. Verse 13, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do... 
forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth to those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. All right? Let us, therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if anything be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Okay, so here's the idea. God's given you the mind of Christ. If you will prayerfully read the scriptures, God will show you your sin where your flesh is not lining up with your spirit. That's what the Bible is telling you, right? Search me, O Lord. Know my thoughts. Try me. Know my ways. See if there be any wicked way in me. I think I probably butchered that, but you know the verse, all right? Now, look at what it says in verse 16. Nevertheless, where to? Look at what it says. We have already attained. Let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. All right, so here's, here's the idea. Paul says we've already attained perfection in Christ. We have already attained that. That's the inward man. The outward man is dying day by day. The outward man is sinful. So the, the Christian walk is this. I want to... Come in control of my body through the power of the Holy Spirit so that my daily walk matches what Christ has already given me. That's what it's saying. So you have the inward man and the outward man. And this conflict is what Augustine was trying to deal with. The conflict is what Calvin was trying to deal with. The conflict is what Wesley was trying to deal with. The conflict is what... uh, Ironside was experiencing in his life and he saw that the teaching that he was given did not line up with either his personal experience or the scriptures. Let's go on. Look at 1 John chapter 3. You want to see it in stark colors? I have heard preachers butcher this text trying to explain it. Let's not explain it. Let's just read it. All right, here we go. 1 John chapter 3. Look at verse 6. Uh, Look at verse 5. And you know that he was manifested, that is, he was made plain, he was shown, Jesus. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. All right, so everybody look up here at me. Keep your place. Look at me. How many of you believe that Jesus Christ was completely sinless? Do you believe that? Is that a clear statement right here? In him, how does it say it? Uh, In him is no sin. Not was, because Jesus Christ is still sinless. All right? So, y'all believe that. Let's see if you believe this next verse. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Okay, look up at me. How many of you are in Christ? You're saved. How many of you don't sin? Like one of you raised your hands. Have I been with you so long and still you don't know? (laughs) See, here's the problem. Here's the problem. There has been so much false teaching on this subject. How many of you have ever heard it said this way? Look at the verse, verse 6. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. That means that you don't continually sin, that you don't live a lifestyle of sin. How many of you have heard somebody say that? Liar, liar, pants on fire. That's not what the verse says. Are you with me? Okay, let's read it. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Little children... Let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous, speaking about Christ. He that committeth sin is of the devil, 
For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Now, how many of you believe Jesus was sinful and that he came to destroy the works of the devil? You believe that? Do you believe the next verse? Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. Now, how many of you are born of God? You're born again. You know you're saved. All right? How many of you who are born of God do not sin? Raise your hand. Have I been with you so long? And see, you know what your problem is? You've been told, well, this means you don't sin continually, that you don't live a lifestyle of sin. Is that anywhere in that verse? What does it say? Let's read it out loud. Everybody, let's read it out loud together. Verse 9. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. The Bible says this. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Do you believe the word of God is perfect? Yeah. You're saved by that perfect word of God. And that seed is in you. That's what the Bible says. Is that what it just said in 1 John? So you cannot commit sin. So how many of you are born again? Would you raise your hand? All right. How many of you do not commit sin? Raise your hand. All right. Some of you are getting it. (laughs) If you are born again... Your inward man, the new man, can not sin. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Wow. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. That new creature, that's the new man. That's the inner man. And that new man can't sin. Now when the Bible says that an adulterer can't go into see the kingdom of God, that a fornicator can't see the kingdom of God, that a drunkard can't see the kingdom of God, I know there are people in here that have struggled with alcohol. If that's the case, after you get saved, if you struggle with alcohol, you can't go to heaven. That is not true. If you're born again, your new man is not an alcoholic. Your new man is not a fornicator. You're... uh, uh, We ought to have every man in here testify. How many of you have had an evil thought since you got saved? We'd be here all day. We all have. How many of you ladies have literally wanted to kill your husband since you've been saved? How many of you wanted to kill your husband on the way to church? It's so simple. The Bible says if you hate your brother, you've already killed him. And so here's what people say. So you're, you're, you're a Baptist. You're one of those once saved, always saved, right? Yeah, 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 I am. So you think somebody could kill somebody and still go to heaven? Well, yeah. <gasps> here's the problem. Here's the problem. You don't think you would kill somebody. And so here's the deal. When you hear of a preacher that commits horrible sins, and people will say this, There's no way that guy's saved. Do you know what's happening? You are misunderstanding the significance of the outer man. All of our spirits are wrapped in a robe of flesh. That's why the Apostle Paul said, In me, that is in my flesh, there dwelleth no good thing. It's so important that we get this. The Bible is so very clear on this. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Let's 
Okay, I've got to finish this really fast. Here's point number two. So there are two men. There's the outward man and there's the inward man. The outward man is dying day by day, so the Bible says. But the inward man is renewed day by day. The outward man is sinful. The the inward man cannot sin. It's very clear in the Scriptures. It's very clear. Your, your, Your new birth, the inward man that God gives you at salvation, is perfect. Why is that? Because when God looks at you, He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Um, Keep your place in Ephesians 6. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Our problem is we don't really believe the Bible. We believe the Bible, we just don't believe what it says. All right, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And look at verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, some things are become new. Oh, okay. All things are become new. Look at verse 21. For he hath made him to be sin for us. That's Jesus Christ, who knew no sin. And then what happened? That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Do you know what I am? I am the righteousness of God in Christ. Why? Because Jesus saved me. Do I deserve it? No. That's why it's called grace. It's an amazing thing. There's nothing I can do to earn it. There's nothing I can do to get it. There's nothing I can do to keep it. It's all of grace. All right? Now go back to Ephesians chapter 2. There are three men. Three men. The first man is the natural man. Look at Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 3. Among whom we all had our conversation. That's our walk. That conversation is our lifestyle, our daily walk. Our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by what? Nature, the children of wrath, even as others. All right, so here's the deal. I got saved as a young man. All right, I never had a lifestyle, you know, living out in the world, doing all kinds of debauchery. My dad would have beaten me like pancake batter, okay? I I never had that. I got saved. But do you know what I was doing? As a 10-year-old kid, fulfilling the lust of the flesh and the lust of the mind. Right? My brother and I, you parents, when you buy your kids the same toy, make sure you put their name on them. My brother would break his and say it was mine. I'm still bitter about it. I was at his house this weekend, so I broke his stereo. No, right. Look, why was he doing that? Because he's a sinner. We always say this. How many of you had to teach your kids how to throw a fit at Walmart? Of course, nowadays you have to teach the parents not to throw a fit on Black Friday at Walmart, right? <laughs> why is that? That's the sin nature. We are by nature the children of wrath. That is, there's only two families in the world, God's family and Satan's family. You're in one of them. If you're saved, you're in God's family. If you're not saved, you're in Satan's family. Jesus said it this way. You are of your father, the devil. Jesus said that. Again, I've never seen that on a pillow. (laughs) He said that. All right? I'd rather be born again and have my father be God. Amen? Isn't that awesome? All right, so... The natural man, that's the lost man. 
There are some things that are true about the natural man. Look at what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Look at verse 14. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Some of you, you might be in here this morning, and you're thinking, what in the world is he talking about? You know, it sounds like the teacher on peanuts. No understanding at all of what we're talking about. You saved people. Uh, regardless of where you are in your Christian life, you have the Holy Spirit going like this. That's right. The word's true. Listen. Listen. If you're lost, you're saying, I don't have any idea what he's talking about. Why? Because you're lost. You need to get saved. And I'm not saying it like I hate you. I'm saying it. It'd be like if you're about to run off a cliff. Don't run off that cliff. Get saved. You need to be born again. The natural man, the natural man, what does he do? The, the, the desires of his flesh control him. You know, you drive down the street and you see a big sign, you drive down the highway, you see a big sign, adult bookstore. Why is that there? Because the flesh controls that man. Why is it that television is getting worse and worse and worse and worse? Because appetites degenerate. And, and, and it takes worse and worse stuff to affect them, appetites. The flesh. They're controlled by the desires of the flesh. That's the natural man. The natural man is governed by his physical senses. That doesn't seem right to me. The Bible tells the wife to submit to the husband. And so you have lost people that fight against that. That's discrimination. That's not right. That doesn't sound right to me. All right, whatever. God said it. I'll listen to him. Why does that sound normal to me? Some of you are thinking, because you're a guy. Maybe. But there are lots of stuff that things that the Bible tells me I've got to love my wife more than my own body. Well, that doesn't sound right. You know how mean she is. Well, you see, the natural man is controlled by his senses, what he can see. Isn't that why they call the sciences now naturalism? We've got to ignore, we have to discard the supernatural. Why? Because we can't see it. It's not observable. Natural man's controlled by his physical senses. And then he has no spiritual discernment. He has no spiritual discernment at all. The natural man. Um, look at, now let's look at the, the second man. He's the spiritual man. Look at verse 13. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Jesus in John 6, 63, He said, The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. So the spiritual man discerns things by the Scriptures. Look at verse 15. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. How many of you have heard, Judge not, lest you be judged. See, that's the natural man. They don't understand what the Bible teaches. The Bible says the spiritual man judges everything. So if, you, if someone ever tells you that we're not supposed to judge, you know that that is not a spiritual person. They're not spiritual. And we'll see what they are in a minute. All right, so 
the spiritual man, his life is guided by what does the Bible say? That's the spiritual man. Now, I've got an owner's manual. And my life is based on what God has said, not on what Aunt Millie says. Okay? Go to Galatians chapter 6. A spiritual man, secondly, is one who lives his life for others. He cares about other people. Look at Galatians 6, verse 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are what? Spiritual. Restore such in one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Here's, here's what, what carnal people do. All right? So, Brother Farrier, Christian man, he messes up. Let's say he gets drunk, makes a fool out of himself, okay? Here's what a spiritual man does. Man, I love you. You know that you messed up. Let, why, don't you, why don't you come over? I'll come to your house. Let's spend some time in the Word. Let's get this thing right. Why? Because I could do it too. That's what the spiritual man recognizes. See what it says? Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault... Ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. See, unspiritual people think they would never do that. Spiritual people say, huh, I'm this far away from it. All right? Spiritual people. Uh, the spiritual man knows God and is at peace. Look at Romans chapter 8. The spiritual man loves God and is at peace. Romans 8, look at verse 6. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. How many of you know Christians that are always in turmoil? They're not spiritual. Now, let's be very careful. Uh, I didn't say Christians who are in trouble. Our missionary, Ken Fielder, who was here with us last week, I got a text from his wife yesterday. He's in intensive care. He has a rare form and aggressive form of malaria that is attacking his organs, and the medication for it also attacks his organs. That's trouble. That's trouble. We need to pray for Brother Fielder. Remember, he was just in Uganda two weeks ago. He was in China three weeks before that. He has this rare form of malaria. So does that mean he's not spiritual? No. No. I'm talking about people that are always in emotional turmoil. They're, they don't have peace. That person is not spiritual. They're not spiritual. A spiritual person has peace. The spiritual man is at peace. Now, let's look at the carnal man. This is the last man. All right? So, remember, we have three men now. We have the natural man. That's the lost man. They're not saved. We have the spiritual man. That's the person that's born again and walks in the spirit. That is, is submitting to the Lord Jesus Christ in their life and is obedient to the scriptures. That's the spiritual man. Who's the carnal man? The carnal man is the saved person who lives like the lost person. The one that all of these religions are trying to address. The saved person that is living like a lost person. The Bible describes that here. Look at verse 5. Romans chapter 8, verse 5. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Now look, there are saved people that are going to die from disease, they're going to die from all kinds of things. Why? Because they live after the flesh. And the Bible tells us that that brings death. The next verse. 
For to be, verse 6, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So here's what happens. You have a saved person. The preacher preaches on wives submit. And you have this saved wife, mother-in-law, whatever, and she says to her daughter, I'll tell you what I'd do. I wouldn't put up with that for a minute. I'll tell you what I'd do. How many of you ever heard a conversation like that? What is that? Have you ever noticed? It's not, it's not this. Well, you know, I just really don't think that that's right. It's, it's anger. There's vitriol. Why? Because the carnal mind is at enmity. That is at war. Hatred cannot stand the mind of God. Saved people that are carnal are more angry at God than atheists are. And you see it all over. It happens over and over and over again. So then they that are in the flesh, verse 8, cannot please God. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. First Corinthians chapter 3. Look at verse 1. See, the carnal man can't be taught. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you are not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. For ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? You see, the carnal man is angry, jealous, unforgiving, and self-centered. The, the carnal Christian is the one that is at odds with other people in the church for long periods of time. You don't know what they said to me. You don't know how they treated me. That's the carnal Christian. That's the car- And it's awful. It's so full of, of vitriol and bile. And, oh, it's horrible. That's carnal. That's carnal. The natural man, the spiritual man, the carnal man. Look at Galatians 6. Galatians 6. The carnal man doesn't understand that there are consequences for his behavior. Galatians chapter 6, look at verse 7. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. It's so interesting... We as Baptists, we have a, a, a distinctive. It's something that makes us different from every other Christian faith. And it's called this, individual soul liberty. And the basis of that is that I'm a free moral agent before God. I am going to stand before God and give an account for my life. So based on that, I cannot require John to do something spiritual. Are you going to believe? If you don't, I'm going to kill you. That's the basis for persecution. That's the John Calvin view. That's the Martin Luther view, okay? I will kill you if you don't believe what I believe. 
individual soul liberty says, I know that this guy's given going to give an account to God. And so here's what the Bible says. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, what he's going to experience, I persuade men. So I'm going to persuade you now. I can't make you do anything. But I can, through the scriptures, persuade you and through the drawing power of the Holy Spirit, overcome that reticence and that sin nature. The Holy Spirit can do that through the scriptures. I persuade. All right? But here's the problem. Once he gets saved, now I want him to live right. You know what? You really need to stop filling the blank. What's the only way he's going to stop that? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says mortify the flesh. That is that you put your flesh to death. You have to die daily to those fleshly desires. He's got to do that. I can't make him do that. What if I make a law against it? What if I don't like the music he listens to? Nick, that would be country music. He thinks there should be a law against all country music. Okay? So, let, so I don't like his music, so I make a law against it. So what's he going to do? He's going to listen to it in secret. And what happens is that legalism, the Bible says the law kills, and that legalism makes him worse than he would have been if he had never met me. It's so important. So because people misunderstand the place of the Holy Spirit and that sowing and reaping, God is going to do more in his life through sowing and reaping than I could ever do through legalism. It's vital that we get this. It's so important. They don't understand. They don't understand the place of sowing and reaping in the life of the believer. Then the carnal Christian gives his life for temporal battles. The carnal Christian gives his life for temporal battles. Go to 2 Corinthians. We're almost done. We'll be done in about two minutes. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Look at verse 3. This is going to become so real to you all. All right, 2 Corinthians 10, 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, that is fleshly, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations in every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Do you know what the carnal Christian does? The carnal Christian invests their life in things that are temporary. The carnal Christian spends all of his life in Republican politics. The carnal Christian spends all of his life fighting abortion, fighting whatever and doesn't do anything that affects that person's soul for eternity. See, the carnal Christian is more interested in politics than soul winning. Why? Because it's easier to war after the flesh than it is to war after the spirit. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness in high places. So what does the Bible tell us to do? Wherefore, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might... Put on the whole armor of God 
that you may be able to stand. See, the, the spiritual battle, the, the spiritual person understands that our battle is an eternal one, not a temporary one. And we get our mind off of whatever is fighting us right at that moment. And we take the long view to eternity. My decision here, I've got to see what the Bible says about it so I can make the right decision. I want to live like a Christian. I want to live like a believer. The Bible says you say you believe in him, then walk even as he walked. Now, the title of my message is Engage Liberty. Where does the liberty come in? It's really simple. I am free from sin. I'm free from the penalty of my sin, and I am free from the power of sin if I walk in the Spirit. If I yield myself to the flesh, then I am a slave to that flesh. But here's the good news. Here's the good news. Let's wrap this up. There are two men. There's the outward man and the inward man. The outward man is dying. The inward man is renewed every day. There are three men. There's the natural man. He's lost on his way to hell. There's the spiritual man. He's saved, surrendered to the spirit, mortifying the flesh. And the carnal man, saved and mired in the flesh and in this world. So here's my question to you. Which man are you? Are you a natural man? Are you, are you lost? Are you a spiritual person saved and living for the Lord? Are you a carnal Christian control, saved but controlled by your flesh and the desires of the flesh, angry, jealous, bitter, unforgiving? The good news is Augustine was wrong. Calvin was wrong. Wesley was wrong. Ironside landed right. And we can know the truth simply from the Scriptures. Do you know what our liberty in Christ gives us? It gives us freedom from sin and the ability to serve Him, to know God and to have peace with Him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray this morning that every person under the sound of my voice knows You as Savior.